Uh, John chapter 9 verse 8. Take a look at it with me. And this is what it says. It'll be in your uh, handouts as well. Therefore, the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, Is this not he who sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, He is like him. He said, I am. He. Therefore, they said to him, Well, how were your eyes open? And he answered them and said, A man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes. And he said to me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and I received my sight. Well, then they said to him, well, where is he? And he said, I do not know. So they brought him who was formerly blind, or formerly was blind to the Pharisees. Now it was Shabbat when Jesus had made the clay and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees who had asked him, uh, also asked him again how he had received his sight. He said to them, he put clay in my eyes and I washed and I see. And of course, he's getting a little more streamlined because he keeps getting asked. Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said, Well, how can a man who's a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. They said to the blind man again, What do you say about him because he opened your eyes? He said, He's a prophet. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they came, I'm sorry, until they called the parents of him who had received his sight. And they asked them, saying, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered them and said, Well, we know this is our son and that he was born blind, but by what means he now sees we do not know, or who opened his eyes we do not know. He's of age. Ask him. He will speak for himself. His parents bailed. Uh, His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed that he was the Christ, He would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he's of age, ask him. So they again called the man who was blind and said to him, give God the glory. We know this man is a sinner. He answered and he said, well, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know that though I was blind, now I see. Well, then they said to him again, well, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered, I already told you and you didn't listen. Why do you not, why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Well, they reviled him and said, you're his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we do not even know where he is from. The man answered and said, this is a marvelous thing. You do not know where he's from, and yet he opened my eyes. And we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears them. Since the world has begun, it is unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind if this Man, were not from God, he could do nothing. Well, they answered and said to him, You are completely born in sins, and are you teaching us? And they cast him out. Now Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and when they had found him, he said to him, Do you believe in the Son of God? He answered and said, Well, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? When Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. Well, then he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Will you pray with me, please? Lord, you have ordained this time to be time to get to know you in your word and also get to know your call in our lives. So Lord, here in this room as we're gathered together, minister right now. Minister, Lord, because we desperately want to know you and to know your call in our lives. We want to know what you have for us. And Lord, we want to encounter you in a way that we become more like you. So, Lord, do more than inform, transform, and take this time now. 
And let your word burst open and come alive. Lord, may we have so much fun in it. May we see your word as the active, living thing that you've ordained it to be. And Lord, put us in the text and may, may we just get it, please. But we may, may we also get the commission you lay upon our lives, the mantle you lay upon us as we look at this now. We commit this to you, Jesus, in your name. Redeem every second and save, transform, heal, equip, call, even here. Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen. I would say today as I would like any, please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. Search the scriptures. Let the Bible always be your authority. No. In our text, in our first seven verses, there was a man born blind. What we're going to find in our text, as we've seen, is that he's actually fairly well known. He's been there. He's been blind from birth. We don't even know if he even had eyeballs at all before Jesus gets a hold of him. And, and with that, there's this doctrinal discussion. It's a doctrinal discussion because it's the very fruit of the religious leaders like these Pharisees. And we're going to see that there's a few things that they've taught that are kind of bearing forth a kind of ugly fruit in the text. And one is, well, clearly, if the guy's in some form of handicap, it must be the result of either his parents' sin or his sin. And Jesus says, it's neither. This is not about punishment, to be honest. This is actually a setup for me to show my, my strength, my glory in this. And with that, he's, I mean, the guy is blind. He spits in the ground. Imagine what that would be like if you were the blind guy and you hear a guy go, and then you feel wet stuff on your face. And then Jesus goes, go wash. Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. The pool from which Hezekiah had moved the Gihon Spring into Jerusalem proper for them to have water. So this man on his knees is there. And as he washes this off, he begins to see. And the first thing he sees is himself. He sees the new him. The man is no longer blind. But there's so much more to blindness than just your ocular ability. That becomes the danger here. I think Suzanne was showing me a, a picture of a t-shirt someone would have been wearing that says something like, Who, what's the use of eyes if the mind is still blind? And we're going to see a bit of that in our text. I challenge you as we go through this, be sensitive to what the Bible's calling the man throughout it because it gets different, fascinating as it is. But when we're going to look at this for our own sakes and not just there was a guy a few thousand miles away a couple thousand years ago that had a cool experience with God and now he's kind of catching heat for it. How do I apply that to my life here in England in 2017? Recognize what happened is, is that Jesus did a miracle in his life. And the moment that Jesus did a miracle in his life, he became a messenger. He took a wonder and God is now converting that wonder into a witness. And I want you to know this is a challenge for every one of us here. If you've encountered Jesus in a life transforming way, that doesn't mean you have to make up a story of how you were punching nuns and kicking puppies and all these things when you were horribly young. And now somewhere in a Jesus met you. You hear some of those guys, they, they pull a guy out of prison and he's like, he's got tattoos and like, let me tell you, man, what I used to be. I was down, you know, like in Juarez and like I killed like my family for fun because they didn't make me my, the kind of thing, food I like, you know. And then Jesus got a hold of me and he changed me. And then you're like, well, I feel like I have a terrible testimony because like that one was cool. The problem is most of the people out there are not going to go, oh yeah, I totally relate to that. They can go, that's really cool. And clearly God can heal a really radically dumb, horribly evil human being. But the majority of the people in the world are like, I'm a good person. 
I'm a good person. I mean, we were at a, a wedding just a few weeks ago. And then when you start talking to people about Jesus, it's amazing how uncomfortable they go, I'm a good person. And the reason I say that is, as most of you, your testimony, chances are, is the one that shatters their answer. Because you're like, you know, as far as other people have been concerned, I was a pretty good person. I mean, I didn't walk until the guy turned green. You know, I was one of those kind of people. I wouldn't dare go out the in or in the out. Some of you are laughing because you know that's you. And you're the one that shatters that I'm just a good person. And the reason I say that is don't buy the lie the enemy's giving you that somehow you're benched because you don't have this super colorful thing and you don't have to make it up. The bottom line is you, like me, we were going to hell. We encountered Jesus and now we're not. We were desperate and empty and whatever way that looks for each of us. But in the end of it all, Jesus filled that. And so the beauty of it is, is that we have the same testimony. The only difference is we have a little bit, we have the same template. We just have different information to put in it, but we're really the same person in the sense of it all. It doesn't matter how bad or how good you thought you were. In the end of it all, we all go to hell without Jesus. And so the reason I say that is if you've encountered Jesus, I'm going to actually challenge you today as we look at this to actually see how God turns this guy into a witness because he's going to want to do the same with you. Now, I want to warn you. I'm going to sort of salt the meat right before I cook it on this. Uh, I'm taking a trip to America for three weeks. Uh, Don't worry. Don't let that mean you can't come to church, obviously, because Jesus is still going to be here regardless of whether I am or not. And it's not my church anyways. It's his. But in that, we want to actually do this sort of testimony thing is we're going to start showing people how the Lord's at work in England. And I ask you to be in prayer because as we go through this part of this, we'll be encouraging you. Next week, we'll be bringing a video camera so that at lunch or somewhere in between or whatever, we're going to just take a moment and just be like, this is who I was, then Jesus, and this is who I am now. And it can be as short as a couple lines. It's all it needs to be. I just want people to be able to place the faces that have been praying for you in America. I just think there's something really cool about that. Well, let's get into our text, shall we? Verse 8. Notice it starts with this. Therefore, the neighbors, the guy is now able to see, and it seems that he is known to everyone but the religious leaders. They actually don't know the guy at all, but everyone else seems to. The neighbors, those who had previously seen that he was blind, notice it says, is not this he who sat and begged? Note, by the way, that they don't know him as the blind guy. They know him as the beggar. They're like, they know him as the beggar, not the blind guy. And that is really key for me. And for you. Because as I'm learning how to turn the wonder of what Jesus is doing in my life to a witness, the first thing is, am I genuinely limiting my witness because I'm not humbling myself enough to actually do what this guy did, which is to be honest enough to say how poor he was before he came to Christ? You know, on one side, it's almost like you can brag about your horribleness and still not present yourself as the beggar that found Christ. And I find it interesting from the very beginning of this, they're going to say, oh, you know, isn't this the guy, isn't this the beggar? And they're like, no, 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 he just looks like him. And he's going to go, no, no, actually, I, I, I'm the beggar. So, you know, I was the guy who used to be the beggar. Now, let me ask you, think about what that would look like in your own life, because this is one of those places where here's the template. Now, you insert your part. In other words, now, think about what a beggar is. A beggar is a person who doesn't have an abundance of something, but has a need. And a need at a point where they are incapable of filling, let me say it again, a need that they are incapable of filling themselves. You've probably heard it said, beggars can't be choosers, so we'll take what we can get. Now that begging could be because you were just lonely. So you take what you can get. And you wind up in this place where you're like, how did I wind up with that person? Because you kind of saw yourself as, I can't really be a chooser and I'll just take this guy or I'll take that girl. 
when you know in life that was really not where you, where you belong. It could be in the area of importance. So because it's in the area of importance, as a beggar, what do you do? You'll take whatever you think kind of makes you look important. Well, what if that's stepping on everyone else? What if that's cutting everyone else down? Well, you'll do it because in the end, you're starving, you're begging, and you just want something. And the reason I say that is this is the thing in honest humility that connects with somebody else, and we're afraid to say it. Because, see, you could be like, well, that was tough, man, and I was rough, and I used to kill people, and I was, you know. And then it's like, now I found Jesus, and I'm like, I'm like, still tough, man. Don't mess with me. I'm still tough. But, but I'm like tough as an evangelist, you know. And there's like no humility involved in that. Versus, you know, if I'm just going to be honest, I was a mess. Because the moment someone's humble enough to say that is the moments that lives get changed. Can you honestly say, yeah, you know what? In this area, I was the beggar. I was the beggar that would have taken anything people had for me. Because you realize it's at moments like that that someone goes, wow. The toughest of people are like, when I, there was, we had an old bass player. He was one of my favorite people in the world um, back in the States. And he was like, he was one of those people that he was he's brilliant. He's super witty. And he's, and he's just, he's so clever that he intimidates people and he doesn't even know it, but he's super happy. Well, he's happy because he's come to know Christ. But before that, he had gotten in this place and when he tells his testimony, you would never know. And in his case, he talked about how he had been going out with this girl and his whole life important was about this girl and this girl bailed on him. She broke up with him. And he found himself curled up in a ball in a fetal position on his own rug or his bed and he just wanted to kill himself. But the moment he started talking about what it was like to be a beggar, the toughest of people, as he starts to share it, started to cry. Because there's something about a testimony that has that kind of humility that, to be honest, kind of rips down our walls pretty quick. And when God wants to turn your, your wonder into a witness, it is not to make you look go from super cool to super cool saved. Because what we actually try to tell people, right, is that Jesus came to save. And you know, save means rescue. And then we present ourselves in a way that it's like Jesus actually just kind of did something really cool with us, but he didn't really save us in our witness. But a beggar needs saving here. So they're looking, hey, is this really that guy? I don't know, is this really this guy? Well, the note is, again, they saw him as a beggar, not as a blind guy. And he says, I am. He willingly admits that that's where he was. It's funny. The the guy finally gets sight and nobody can seem to recognize him. And that's interesting because that would tell me that there are some people that would only recognize him as a beggar. You know, it's like some people, it's like, you ever see a teacher? Remember the first time some of you ever saw a teacher outside of school? And you thought, don't they just keep you chained to your desk? I mean, is that just kind of weird? Or there's certain people in certain uniforms that if you see them in any other way, it's like your whole world kind of goes, this is like a dream, right? Because it's one of those places where it's like weird things are all being shoved together. And you go, I don't get it. And the reason I say that is, is that this guy, it's like his costume, his uniform was the begging uniform, blind and just please help. Please give me something kind, please. Now notice, by the way, and it's going to be a real fundamental aspect on it, at least four different times, the question people are going to ask who have been raised under this godless religion, which is tradition and politics, that's all it is, is how. 
And they ask in verse 10, they ask him, how were your eyes open? Notice that the point is that they're going to get you distracted. They're going to get you distracted by the how. Now understand, this is what the Bible tells us, and for what it's worth. Uh, it kind of starts with Paul. He quotes in Romans 13, he pulls from Psalm 14 too. He says there's really no one good, and there's no one who seeks after God. Let me say that again. There's nobody that qualifies, and nobody really seeks after God. And the reason I say that is, what if we were like a seeker church? Well, what are you seeking? Because you're clearly not seeking God because the Bible tells me you don't seek God. I'll tell you what you're looking for. All the things God has to offer without him. That's what you're looking for. If I can get peace without God, I'll take it. If I can get love without God, I'll take it. And the reason I say that is the how does that. Show me how to get what you got. And the danger is we get diverted. And let me just say it in the simplest sense. There is either the how or the who. That's the point here. So you go, well, how? And you were like, well, you know, I was like miserable. And then someone brought me to church and I went to this church and then I heard this thing. And, and then as I heard this thing, I responded and I was like, wow, things are better. But Jesus wasn't even mentioned the how. And it's like, we have this course of miracles. And the reason I say that is that doesn't change after we get saved. The same thing happens because now we believe in the power of prayer or, well, I've fasted for this long or I've memorized these verses or you don't understand. Now I'm a deacon. And the reason I say that is, is that the how without the who is a foolish exercise. But all of those same things can be fascinatingly beautiful and rich and fruitful if the who is first. I mean, if I memorize scripture, but the who isn't involved in it, then I'm just going to become this irritating jerk for Jesus. Let's be honest. If I'm going to be fasting, but it's really not about Jesus, I'm going to be another irritating jerk for Jesus is what I'm going to be because I'm going to be irritating because I'm hungry. You know, I mean, think about the things that happen. It's like, oh, I believe in the power of prayer. And I'm, going to, I'm just going to get crawl into the grill of that for a second. Look at, I do not believe in the power of prayer. I believe in the power of the one we're praying to. And the reason is if the prayer was enough and you get this in the, you know, you get these in these weird handouts, you know, for whatever reason, the two things I seem to get are those like weird four words and free coffee. And I'm not really sure which one of them bothers me more, only because I really don't like coffee. So if you like coffee, hang out, because chances are you can have all the coffee someone offers me. But then it's like, you know, there's two donkeys were walking up a hill. And I'm like, no, yeah. And one said to the other, unless it's the story of Belacham, I know where this is going. And the, and the only reason, please don't send me anything that says, unless if you don't, you know, if you want everyone to go to hell, don't forward this or, you know, however that goes. Uh, and the only reason I say that is, is you get caught into this place where you get these like things that just seem so insignificant. And then you go, well, give me the, and one of those things is, well, here's the prayer of Jude, which by the way, I hadn't even found in his book. He wrote a book. It's only one chapter. It's hard to miss. Uh, well, it's hard to actually read through the whole thing and go, well, I, I didn't find it in there. It's because it's kind of small. It's easy to pick it out. But if you pray this five times, you'll get that Bentley. Where's the, I really don't want a Bentley. Now, Jeep might be another story, but the Bentley thing, you know, and the only reason I say that is, is that it's like you're in the power of prayer. You're going to say these words over and over and over again. But it's all a how and there's no who. That was what Simon did. What do I need to do? How much will it cost me to get that power? Man, I'd love that. It's like you're missing the whole thing. The sons of Sceva. It's a priest's kids. Seven of them. 
If you could see the priest going, well, that's the number of completion. Honey, that's enough children for us. You know, and it's like, and they're, the, they're a PK, they're a priest kid, and they see a guy, and they've watched Paul apparently cast out demons. And so they're like, wow, oh, that looks awesome. Who wants to do that with me? And you could see all the brothers kind of sitting around, yeah, you know, they're kind of, one's doing this to the other guy's head, and one guy's, you know, short, you know, sheeting his bed. And then they're like, come on, you guys, let's go find a demon, because that looked cool. Now, what was the words? What were the words again? Well, Jesus. It's about the name of Jesus. Um, you know, that guy. Well, which do you? Well, Jesus, Yehoshua, by the way, was one of the 11 most common Hebrew names. So, oh, the one that Paul preaches. So imagine they kind of went over there. Hey, that guy looks possessed. Now, I don't know about you, but if what if they ran up to you and you went, you know, you're just having a bad day and you're like, you look possessed. Oh. It worked. But then they'd find this guy that's genuinely possessed and they're like, We adjure you in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches. Get out of him. And for the first time, that demon calls that guy's bluff. One demon and one guy looks at the seven sons and says, Hmm, Jesus I know. Paul, I know. But who are you? Now, even the name of Jesus, hear me, was a how there, not a who. And it says the one man possessed by the one demon jumped on the seven PKs and they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. And I just wonder what that would have been like for dad sitting in his study preparing and his boys all walk in bleeding and naked and go, how was your day? Where have you been? And the reason I say that just it's weird to think how we can turn Christian things into a how instead of a who and understand if you're going to be a witness and if you've encountered Jesus, he has called you to be a witness then you need to recognize people are going to divert you from the simple truth. And you're like, you know what? The answer is just simply Jesus. The how is less important. I'll, I'll walk you through it, but in the simplest sense, you need to know Jesus came to me. I couldn't come to him. He came to me and he spit on the ground. He made clay. He rubbed it in my eyes and he told me to go and wash. And I did. And guess what? I came back seeing Now, there wasn't anything elaborate. There wasn't anything super fancy about it. And so they kind of look at that and they're like, hmm. So they ask the next question, verse 12. Well, where is he? You could see him going, how in the world did I know? I was blind in just till a moment ago. But I love his answer and please don't miss this. His answer is three words. I don't know. Do you realize the power of that answer? We don't, do we? In humility, there is a power in the words I don't know. Because you know, someone's like, oh, you're a Christian, are you? Well, let me ask you a question. Who's Cain's wife? Can I just put it in its simplest sense? Please hear me in this. You're a witness, not Wikipedia. And there's the peace in that. See, here's the cool part. I put my life, my, my whole life in the hands of one who's running the universe. So you, I don't have to have the answers. Because I'm actually not running the universe and we should all be very glad about that. Who was Cain's wife? And we want to come up with some kind of fancy answer. I don't know. 
well, what do you have to say about that priest over there in this place doing this horrible thing? Or what about the Inquisitions? Or what about indulgences? And what about... You know, I just remember how beautiful it was when I first knew the Lord and it was all just Jesus. And it's like, well, if it isn't about Jesus, I really don't know. And I didn't even know everything about Jesus, but I do know this. This is who I was and this is who I am now. That much I did know. And they're like, well, what about... Some people say Jesus is black. I don't really care what color he is. Green, purple, glow in the dark. I really don't care. He saved me. I can tell you the part I do know. I mean, biblically, I could say he's clearly Jewish. But I can tell you this. All of the information, all the stats about somebody doesn't get you. You know, all the stats about the president isn't going to get you into the White House just as much as all the stats about Theresa May isn't going to get you into 10 Downing Street. You've got to know him. And they're like, hey, what happens if someone is this? And you know what I find is so many people are so afraid to answer that they're a Christian because this is what they're afraid they're going to wind up doing ultimately. Like they're going to lose because they don't know something. Well, what do you think about this guy? I really don't know. Well, you're just dumb and uninformed. Well, I'm saved. You're just drowning. Here's the funny part. When a person doesn't think they're drowning... It's amazing the dumb questions they'll bring up. Wait a minute. You grabbed a life ring and got pulled into a boat? What about the Titanic? I have no idea. I heard it sunk. It's still down there from what I can tell. In an iceberg is a story I know, but I don't know a lot of it. What about all those people who perished? It doesn't matter. I got in the boat that saved me. You should too. You're drowning and you just don't realize it. And if we started, think about it, if we just started with that, like, you know what? I want you to know, I was a beggar. In my case, I can tell you, I was a beggar about peace. And all of my understanding and everything that I could learn never got me peace. And I saw enough discord and enough violence. I wanted it to come out of me. I would get into fights just to get into fights, thinking somehow in the moment I was being heroic, I'd throw myself in these situations. And in that, it was as if I wanted to get this out of me because there was this storm inside of me that I just couldn't get out. And I would have taken anything to get that out of me. And I tried self-medicating, I tried relationships, I tried all kinds of things, in all kinds of places of importance, and in all these things, and yet in all of the things, God was, it was kind enough in my life to let me get to the apex and realize how utterly lonely and impotent it was to be there, and how ineffective it was to get this horrible gnawing thing that was clawing at my soul inside out, that was really in the simplest sense, a soul that was racked with his own guilt and failure that just wanted to be free from it. And man, I would have hurt people thinking I was doing something right just to try to alleviate it because I thought I was going to explode and I was a beggar. But Jesus didn't ask me to come running. Jesus met me right there because I was incapable of coming myself. Well, how? How? Forget the how for a moment. Get the who first. Then any how makes sense. The how is receiving this gift. So where is he? I don't know. I really don't know. Now look at verse 13, and I'm gonna, it'll pick up, obviously, because we don't have that much time. But it says, they brought him who was formerly blind. Did you see that? 
We went from the blind guy, the man who was blind, to somebody formerly blind. Are you following me on this? Look at He was blind. Now he's formerly blind. Are you with me? I'm just going to show you because that changes directions here in a moment. So they bring him to the religious leaders. I remind you, the people that are actually observing him are asking how because the religious leaders have taught them that. And that's where we're going to go here. Now it was Shabbat. It was Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. So look at the question that the Pharisees ask in verse 15. Then the Pharisees also asked him again how he received his sight. Notice it's always how here. What church did you get that blessing? What place was that? How did you do it? Were you kneeling? Were you standing? Were you sitting? Who, what was the name of the band that played? How did you do it? And it's like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're missing Jesus. And it's like Jesus, when he himself does the appraisal of these churches in Revelation 2 and 3, he starts with a church that's like, you guys are really good with the truth, but you left your first love. You've got all this how, but there's no who here. And then he goes to the, the you know, and then he goes towards the end and he goes to chapter 3 and then he goes to Sardis and he goes, you guys, you are so busy and you're dead. He's like, you have all of the hows. Man, you are busy with the hows, but there's no who there. Because, man, you realize that if we had church and Jesus wasn't here, how would we know? Would it change the way we praised? Would it change the way we studied the word? Would it change the way we prayed together? Because if it doesn't, then what we are doing is nonsense. Without him... If we just keep doing the other stuff and not notice a difference, we are messed up. See, so they brought the man that was formerly blind to the Pharisees, and they asked him, how did you receive your sight? Notice he's starting to streamline now, and they say, well, he put clay on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Now, spitting, that's work, because you might land on dirt, and that's farming, that's breaking Sabbath. Making clay, that's work, because you might be shaping something. Doing therapy, that's work. That's three different, different strikes. You can only keep a person from dying, but you couldn't apply antibiotic, and Jesus heals the guy. And healing is a completion in that. That's completely breaking down too. So what you have is four different ways that Jesus broke the Sabbath in their opinion. So the Pharisees say, well, we've already concluded this man's not from God. God Godless religion is always about the how. But this man doesn't need to elaborate. He doesn't need to exaggerate. And in any other way, be inventive. Because in the end of it all, the simpler it is, the more people get it. Have you considered what you know? What if you, if someone were to ask you, does Jesus change lives? You'd say, well, of course he does. Wouldn't they have the right to genuinely ask you, well, then how did he change yours? Will you be humble enough with me? And understand this is a challenge for me too. To be honest. Then he met this beggar. But that's not who I am anymore. Well, they listen to the how and they're like, well, then clearly he must not be from God. This is the Sabbath. Nobody does that now. Did you notice that they missed the whole miracle for the method? Others said, well, how? Notice the how again. How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was division among them. But look at verse 17. Before I even read it, what does the Bible call the man there? You tell me. Isn't that a little weird? I mean, he was the man who was blind to the man who was formerly blind, and now we're calling him a blind man again? You know what that tells me? There's more than one kind of blindness. There's the blindness of your eyes and ability to see. Then there's your blindness about the God who created light. 
It's interesting. Here's the place where they say, what do you have to say about him? Because you opened your eyes and you said, well, he's a prophet. God calls him blind again because he doesn't really get the whole truth yet about who Jesus is, but he's going to. He's always going to by the end of this. And this is the other side of it. They'll get you to focus on you. They'll get you to focus on the how. And then they'll start asking you questions you couldn't possibly answer and you can get to this point where you just start making up an answer. The Jews didn't believe concerning him, so of course, what did they do? They call in mom and dad. Notice the question they ask in verse 19. How then does he see? Notice again the questions, how? His parents, and by the way, I think this is interesting because this guy for the first time is able to see with his eyes, but I think he's seeing an awful lot of things he may not want to see. I mean, what he's seeing is a religious leadership that has no real interest in the fact that you think they'd be celebrating that this guy was blind and now he's not. They're going to see in the end of it all that even though this guy now is healed, he's still a sinner, a hopeless hell-bound sinner as far as the religious leader is concerned by the time they were done with this. And this guy's a miracle and they're going to completely disqualify him anyways. Can you imagine? But I'll be honest, of all the things that I would have to see at a moment like this, this by far would be the hardest. To see my parents brought up and see them cower and in essence deny me. They're asking, is that your son? How did he get well? And they're like, you know what? Leave me out of this. And I wonder what that would be like for him. I mean, this is all at the first day. The first day he sees to see his parents cower like that. They're like, you know what? We already know what happens if we talk about Jesus in this. And you know what? You just ask him, I can give you this much because it's safe to say that's our son. That much I can tell you. But after that, you're going to have to ask him yourself. Man, what would it be like? And I look and I'm thinking, Mom, Dad, really? You won't even stand with me on this? You know what's weird? Wouldn't you think if anyone could rejoice over a son getting healed like that, it would be his folks? Wouldn't you think that his parents would be the ones that would be like, Wow, son, look at you. What happened? There's this text in Psalm 27. David writes it of all people. I cling to this a lot as I've watched certain people and their mistakes and the foolish choices they make. It says in Psalm 27:10, when my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. David would know, even if everyone else was going to bail on him, he knew who his father was in heaven. And it brought him comfort at a time where he really, I imagine was David was fleeing from Saul. I wonder how many times he's like, man, it would be just so nice to see my mom and dad. And they actually did come and they showed up. It's actually part of the funny of it. I know that doesn't sound like it would be a funny setting, but David is writing one of those Psalms where he's like, nobody cares about me and I'm here and I'm alone. And there he is, he's hiding in a cave. And you imagine every wind bustling, you know, rustling leaves would freak him out at that moment because he knows Saul's, I mean, he's like Jason Bourne at that moment. Anyone's once him dead, right? And he's like, I don't get it. You know, and he's like, and you imagine, he's like, oh, please, God, it is, nobody cares and nobody knows where I'm at. It is horrible. And almost there's like a knock at the, at the cave. It's like, Honey, it's your mother. And I just wonder how funny that would be. I want to see that moment. And then David going, mm, well, I'm halfway through this song. I better finish it. God, thanks. Thank you very much. Yeah. And parents are like, well, 
Notice in verse 21, though, they go with both. They're like, well, we don't know how and we don't know who. In other words, leave me completely out of this. But what they seem to recognize is that those are the two things that are on the table for the leaders. It's the how. For the man, it's the who. And they're like, I don't, I don't know either. Leave me out of this. And so, there's a, you know. and so now they go back to it. Verse 24. So they bring the guy back. So imagine, it's like, excuse me, we're going to need to confirm this. So they bring him out. They pull the parents out, but they don't want him here. And then they bring him back in. And imagine as he kind of sees this and the, the rejection and the, imagine the, the, the defeat that would be on his parents' face. And then, on the, and the, you know what they start with this? Notice what it says. It says, verse 24, they called the man who was blind. Notice again, it was wise. And they said, give God the glory. We know this man's a sinner. Wow. He answered, well, and this is so beautiful. I really don't know that. But I'll tell you what I do know. I once was blind, and now I see. That's what I know. And you know what the hard part is? Nobody in that room can deny that now. They've been trying to disqualify the miracle from the beginning. If you've ever been in a courtroom, you kind of know this is the way it works. You have to try to break down a couple things. So let's say that, you know, and and obviously, in in some, it's just kind of this weird mental game. But let's say that, you know, in one case, that Hugo is actually uh, accused of killing somebody. Now, there have been, knowing Hugo, uh, there have been people he's wanted to kill, but I know that he's actually never followed through on it. To be honest, Deborah's probably more likely to kill someone than Hugo is. Uh, but, but in all of that, <clears throat> and imagine it's sort of like, you know, on the, let's just say on the 4th of July this year, you know, Hugo was actually out somewhere, and for whatever reason, it just seemed like he picked up this guy that was juggling knives, a Russian guy that was juggling knives, and he grabbed them all and just started flinging them at people at random, saying something in French that no one really understood. And because he was French, some of the British naturally just assumed it was probably him. So in all of that, it's the 4th of July, and somewhere in that, then Bruno was brought into the situation, and they say, and Bruno goes, well, actually, he was with me the whole day, and we were actually in Italy during that time. Now, if I were the person trying to, get, trying to get Hugo in prison, in other words, I was the prosecuting attorney, and this is a witness that's going to actually stop me from doing so, I have two ways to try to do that. One is I can disqualify the message, and the other is I can disqualify the messenger. Does that make sense? I can say, well, and I could do it this way. Bruno, um, are you absolutely sure that you have a, such an understanding of the days of the week that you can actually say the 4th of July you were sure was in Italy. Or I could say, well, the guy's just insane, and he actually, he actually thinks it's July now. You know? I mean, and what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to show you that he doesn't have a capacity as a person. Does that make sense? But the, and the easiest way to do it is to disconnect him from the event. And then I try to tear apart his message. But when you say this, do you really mean you guys were together? Were you guys on a Skype call, maybe? Well, you know, Hugo was walking around with a blood-covered shirt. You know, and, and the reason I say that is this is what happens when you're actually talking to the jury of a human heart. But here's the thing. And so what happens is we try to come up with all of this dusty literature. Most of, in the 4th century, this guy said this thing. Have you ever met him? Of course. Would, I, I would be delusional to tell you I've met somebody in the 4th century. You know? and, and, we kind of, and, then, and the only reason I say that is, is the thing that you can be a witness of, you've had to personally experience. Does that make sense? So you could say, you know, Patricia could say, well, my great-grandfather, 
This was a fantastic story that he keeps telling me from the time that I was this little girl on my puppy's knee. And as he tells his story, but in the end of it all, it's a great story and it may be absolutely true, but she wasn't a witness of it. And we want to tell great stories, but in the end of it all, can you tell people what God did to you? Because in the end of it all, I can't disqualify a message if what happened happened to you. In the end of it all, Bruno's like, no, I was actually there. We were actually there together. We were eating pasta until we were miserable, until, you know, noodles were coming out of our belly buttons. And that was just the prima, you know, and, you know, and we, and we go, and he goes through the story. And yet after all of that, when we thought we were going to die from that thing, you know, Hugo looks at me and says, let's go get gelato. And, you know, and, and it's like, the reason I say that is, is that that experience, you can't take that away from him. And the man says, look at, I really don't know whether this guy, what, I mean, look at whatever your judgments are. I, I can, the one thing I know is this. I woke up this morning, not being able to see a thing. And now I see you clearly. And to be honest, as I look at your faces, there's a part of me that wishes I could go back for a moment. So what is the, what if that were, remember we we're talking about doing a video next week. What if that's what you did? We, had a, we just give you a piece of paper and it said, I once was, dash, then Jesus, now I'm, dash. What would you put there? If you're going to be honest, not about bragging about how cool you were and then God saved the cool person and just made him a cool saved person, but where you were a beggar and God did, he took that deficit, that emptiness, and he filled it. Did he? Because if he didn't, what in the world are we doing? The crazy part is Jesus didn't just save me when I was 19. He's continuing to save me today. There are things that were a battle a month ago that are different today. And I can tell you, I once was, and Jesus continues to make me once was, and now I am. And when someone goes, well, what about, what about, what about, hey, what if you just kept going back to it? That would be problematic for them, wouldn't it? Well, what about, what about that guy? I don't know. What about the Pope? I've never met him. Why are you asking about him? What about Cain's wife? Well, I don't care. She, he's obviously married. She's obviously married. Why are you asking? You know, and it's amazing the questions they want to ask. It's like, look at, I can tell you this. This is who I was and this is who I am. And the difference is Jesus. I encountered Jesus and my life will never, ever, ever be the same. And they can look at you and in verse 26, they can go, so how did he do it? And you'd be like, oh, are you kidding me? You're back to the how again? We had, there was a time where the church in uh, California kind of just exploded in this really odd, crazy way. And we were being interviewed by some of the local papers just about how was the secret of our growth. And we're like, you know, we just preach the gospel. We teach straight through the word and give people a choice. And they're like, yeah, blink, blink, eye cricket, cricket, cricket. But what do you do? I'm like, we preach the gospel, we teach straight through scripture, and we give people a choice. How many members do you have? That's awesome. We have none. We don't have a membership. And it was, you could tell we were so frustrating them. And finally, we wanted to go, well, you know what we do is on Thursday mornings, we all put our feet in, our feet in bowls of spaghetti, and we pray as we fast, and we look at this spaghetti, and we don't eat it. And they're like, really? And you could tell they were interested. And I'm like, no, we don't do that. 
Why would you waste spaghetti? You know? And, and the whole point is how crazy it is that people are like, oh, that's the how. I'm like, no, 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 how? This is just, it's just about Jesus. It's just about Jesus. And the moment your life gets complicated, you are adding too much man and too little Jesus in this. So the guy's like, so how? And he's like, look, I already told you. You guys already know. So what? You guys want to become his disciples? And you can see at this point, he's getting a little cheeky. Which, by the way, I can happen. I like that fact. Now, throughout scripture, by the way, Isaiah 29, 18, Isaiah 35, 5, Isaiah 42, 7, God says that when I send my Messiah, he's going to open up blind eyes. So it shouldn't surprise us this is starting to happen. But notice their answer, because they're like, look at you're his disciple, that's clear. And you could see the guy going, if the guy was recruiting, I would say yes in a heartbeat. I don't even know. I had a brief encounter with him, and actually I'm not even sure where he is right now. You know? And then he's, and, and so he's, and they're like, well, we're Moses' disciples. And he's like, funny. He goes, well, that's crazy. And he goes, but for this guy, we don't even know where he's from. And you could see the guy going, well, that's a really crazy thought, because just a couple chapters ago, <laughs> You're going, well, if whoever the Messiah goes, we don't know where he's from. I'm like, you're actually confessing the very thing you said would happen with the Messiah here. And he goes, oh, that's a marvelous thing. You don't even know where he's from. And this guy did this thing to my life. He goes, don't you think, if you think you have the market cornered on God's business, don't you find it strange that somehow this happened outside of your walls? Because that seems a little weird to me. I mean, look, at you don't even know all of this. And this guy opened my eyes. We don't ever heard of anything like this. Nowhere in scripture, nowhere in history have we ever seen anything like this. I'm like, what he did? I'm standing witness of that. You've never, you've never seen this kind of thing before in your life. And to be honest, I've never either because I couldn't see you until just a moment ago. So, you know, and all that. And so notice their answer in all of this. He goes, in the end of it all, he goes, look at this thing I know. If, if, if this isn't God, I don't know what is. He says, man, we're not from God. How in the world could he have done this? Their answer in verse 34, you were completely born in sin and you're teaching us. Don't miss that. Because when God does something radical in your life, and even if that's peace, and you went from girl to girl or guy to guy, you went from drug to drug, you went from job to job, thinking this is it, from acquisition to acquisition, you bought this and you bought that and you bought that, and you went now, now, dang it, that didn't do it either. Well, good news is there will be another iPhone in another year. You know, and it's like you keep going and you keep going and you keep going and going, if I could just... Get the thing, whatever the thing is, and it's a how when I got the thing, and dang it, it didn't work either. And then Jesus meets you and fills that hole completely and makes it overflow. And then you're like, wow, and people, but there are some people that are like, Psh. but you don't understand. You don't wear a tie. You don't cut your hair. When you have a tattoo. Well, clearly you're going to hell for that. And it's amazing how you could be disqualified. And you just encounter Jesus. And how confusing would that be? You're like, I, you know, in all my years of being part of like tradition versus, you know, politics. And that was the cocktail that I was told was religion. And all of those years, I don't find myself changed at all in any great way other than it kept me out of a little bit of trouble. And then I encountered this Jesus fella. And now it's like, everything is, everything is different. He didn't just like fix my app. He gave me a whole new operating system. Everything changed. And we go, yeah, but it's it's not our thing. I'm like, well, that's pretty evident. It's not your thing. And they kick him out. And hear, hear me on this. As we have our last few verses, Jesus isn't going to let this guy get away. I love this. Imagine 
how confusing this would be at this moment. You just got kicked out of church because you encountered Jesus. Now, I'm not talking about you were levitating, barking, and felt like you had the warrior spirit and started punching the old person next to you. you know? And they're like, oh, I just feel like Jesus is telling me, God, God. And you're like, nah, I'm kind of actually doubting that actually is what's happening. But I mean, he, you were and now you are this. And someone said, Psh, get out of here. We don't have room for that kind of thing here. You walk out going, wow, my eyes are open in so many ways at this moment. And Jesus comes up to him and he goes, hey, do you believe in the Son of God? And he's like, who? And I wonder if maybe he picked out the voice a little bit. Because the last time he heard that voice, it was making clay. And then saying, go wash. And he's like, who is he? Which tells us, by the way, and please hear me this. Here's another dangerous thing. We're down to our last few minutes. Faith can be a how or a who too. You need the power in your faith. Power in your faith. Faith is simply trust. If there was enough power in let's face it, you could trust a lot of stupid things. Chances are every one of us in this room have a history of trusting dumb things. It's not about the power of your faith. There should be a strong faith, but it's in who or whom you put it in is really what matters. Believe is just putting your trust on Jesus. Like, have you put your trust upon the Son of God? He's like, well, who is he? He's like, actually, let me make it really clear. I'm the one you're looking for. And you know how we end this time? With real worship. This guy worships. He worships Jesus. He's ultimate Jesus is actually what we're going to find is he is in the presence of the religious leaders as well. And this guy traded. Now hear me on this. We are not to say we're not religious. I'm just going to put it out there. Religious means devoted. We should actually be properly religious. Not that whole just, just tradition and politic, but rather devoted to Jesus. Not to a how, but to a who. So once I was, are you religious? I'm like, absolutely, I'm religious. I'm not going to lie to you, but I'm going to take the word back. I belong to Jesus Christ, and he's changed me. Can I tell you how? I'm like, well, how? Well, all my how involves the who, or it's not worth anything. I was a horrible, miserable, rotten, angry, brooding, believe it or not, quiet individual. You couldn't have got five words out of me. Now you can't get me to stop. Yeah, you're, you're nodding as you're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> and if someone would ask, you know, if you were put on a deserted island, you could have one thing, what would it be? I used to say, offense. That's what I'd want, offense. I hated people. I genuinely hated people. In my opinion, they were shallow, insignificantly self-absorbed, unaware that I was. And then I met Jesus. And he turned this brooding... I mean, I remember people walking by and I could hear them breathe a sigh of relief as they got past me. That probably still happens, but it's a different thing. (laughs) And, And I just can't stop talking about this great Savior who changed my life. He took all of that misery, all of that anger, all of that filth, all of that shame, and he hung on a cross and he paid for it all there like the scripture had promised for thousands of years. 
And when he was buried, it was buried there for good. And when he rose from the grave on the third day, just as the scripture promised, he said, I've got a new you. That old you gets laid to rest for good. And when I said yes, he buried him for good. I don't want to drag him. I don't want to start grabbing a shovel and digging him back up. He deserves to be dead. That's why Romans says, reckon him dead. Just He's dead. Stop playing with him. And now this new life I have is one where he's my Lord and my Savior. And he's my Savior because I needed saving. I needed to be rescued. And I needed to be rescued not only from my guilt and shame, but if I'm going to be honest, I needed to be rescued from me. And he rescued me from all of that. Have you been rescued? Have you been rescued by this Jesus who will meet you right where you're at, love you too much not to, and then love you too much to leave you that way? Take all of you and take all of that and bury it for good. Kill it and put it and lay, it, lay it dead. And then give you a whole new life. Because as we go to prayer, my prayer today is that you would say yes if you haven't. And if you have any questions, be free to ask me. I'll answer what I know. If I don't know it, expect me to say I don't know and I'm cool with that. Would you pray with me? Lord, I want to thank you for this beautiful text. I want to thank you for how you meet us here. I want to thank you for the life that we have in you. That we can say, I once was angry, bitter, brooding, violent, hurtful, desperate, lonely, confused. But then you came, Jesus. And now I'm overflowing. I love my family and I love this flock and I love you. And none of those could have happened without you. Because the God who so loved the world that he gave his only son lives inside of me now. So how could I not? And right now, while heads are bowed and eyes are closed, if you have said yes to Jesus, my prayer is that the Lord would be stirring your heart right now about what you once were and who you are now, how Jesus has made a difference in your life that's yours. No evangelistic stuff, no exaggerations, nothing inventive, just simple, honest truth. Well, you met a blind beggar and opened his eyes. But while heads are bowed and eyes are closed and Christians are considering this, have you said yes to Jesus? The Bible says if you're willing to confess with your mouth that he's Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll you'll be saved. What you're doing is giving Jesus permission to save you and be your Lord. It's all him. The choice is all yours. And if that's you right now, just pray this prayer with me. God in heaven, please today open my eyes 
to how I desperately need you. And as I see you for who you are and see me for who I am, I recognize my need for you. I need to be rescued and you are the rescuer. You've paid for my sins at the cross, all my shame, all my guilt. And you seek to lay it all to rest and give me a new life and the rest is just a choice. And I say yes, I choose you. I say yes to your offer. Jesus confessing you as the Savior, as the ransom, and as the Lord of my life. So please today, please today, give me that new life. I willingly and openly say yes to you. I'm yours, Jesus, in your name. If you agree, I ask you to say, Amen. Lord, you've heard our prayers today. And I pray you take every wonder in here and make them a witness. Let this week be the week, Lord, where it's about the who and we see other lives transformed now. I know we may be surprised at who might bail. But Lord, show us that you never will. You'll never leave us nor forsake us. So Lord, please today, here in this room, Pour your spirit upon us to give us the courage and the boldness to be true about what you've called us to now. Jesus, in your name. Amen.